This sermon today follows up from we had six, which was Jericho, seven, which was what I call the first battle of I, okay? And whenever you have I involved, you're going to have problems, all right? Talking about, I, I like I, me, myself, and me, but it's, that's a joke, y'all. It's A-I. And then today, we're going to talk about the second battle of I. And the second battle of I ends up in triumph, and the first battle of I was a disaster. And Joshua did stuff wrong. Joshua didn't pray. Thank you so much. Sorry, we're having all kinds of batteries go out. He didn't pray to prepare himself for the battle. The uh, troops decided that they were big enough and mean enough and bad enough and that they didn't need uh, but 3,000 people, and they went in and they got slaughtered. Can I be heard on this now? Okay. So that's a little less distracting when I use that on my ear. So anyway, as I began this sermon back Monday, I called it the God of Second Chances. And all week long, that bothered me. I kept thinking, the God of Second Chances, the God of Second Chances. It's like the Lord was telling me, I don't just give you two chances. That's what people do to one another. I'll give you one more chance, Larry, and then we're done, okay? God says, I'm going to give you more chances than you can count. Amen? Amen. So we're going to close in prayer, and that's the sermon for today. God gives us more chances than we can count to return to him and rededicate ourselves to his mission in the world. Amen? Amen. And that's what is the overall big idea, Devin, today. God of not second chances, but more chances than you and I can count. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you give us far more chances than we give each other or even give ourselves. Lord, forgive us today. I pray that each of us will have a moment of repentance where we will get things right with you, Lord, to get into the second battle of I and to do it your way. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So a review of Wednesday was when Jericho was taken, and this got a little confusing, so I kind of wanted to go back over it. In chapter 6, God said, I'm going to go in, I'm going to take down the walls of Jericho, and I want to tell you all, I realize it's hot in here. We've got like one more day to go, right, Scott? We think. Uh, and all of our new units will be in tomorrow. They came with the wrong motors, so praise God. Uh, isn't this great? God's timing's perfect. He's going to wait till late in August to get our ACs changed. But anyway, God reserved for himself the first fruits. He said, this is my battle. I'm taking Jericho. And so there, there's a little principle that we learned in there. I think, Diana, you pointed it out to me. This is real indicative of the principle of first fruits. We're to give God of our best, give him of our first fruits, not give him our leftovers or give him the second place stuff or give him that's what you know, we don't give him the blemish sheep. We give him the one we find that's without spot and blemish, so to speak. And so we went in and God said, what we, what you guys go in and take in Jericho, it's for me. And he prepared himself spiritually for the conquest. He had a divine appointment. Remember, he saw the man there with the sword drawn that he thought was the, the man. It was really the commander of the Lord's army. And, uh, he bowed down and he worshiped, and that being received that worship. Hence, we know it was not an angel, but was the Lord himself as what we call a theophany. God appeared there, and Joshua had a divine appointment, and it's how important divine appointments are for us. One thing I always try to do, Tim, on Sunday morning is after I've reread my sermon one time, I'll read the one I sent you last night, I fall on my face to the Lord. And it seems like the Sundays when I don't do that, it just doesn't go the same. It's because 
he wants us to have a divine appointment with him to bless the work that we do. If it was just our work, it doesn't really do much. And I can look around here and I can think, I prayed for everybody in this room by name this morning. I'm looking. I don't think I missed anybody. I missed Cheryl's husband because I didn't know his name. But I saw him in my mind, okay? So that's what I'm supposed to do is pray for you guys that our hearts would be open. And I do recognize you today, Betty. I didn't recognize her yesterday with her hair in a ponytail. But we prepare ourselves. And then this first battle of the city of Ai happens in chapter 7. 36 warriors were killed. Uh, Joshua gets into kind of a shouting match with God. He says, you took us in there. You took us in here to die. Kind of blame God. And then God revealed to him that someone in the battle of Jericho, a guy named Achan, who was Achan to get something in his pocket, saw a beautiful robe and saw some gold, saw some silver and took it and hid it in his tent. It says he dug a hole and put it in there. And then disaster struck the Israelites as they went in and tried to take eye. Joshua had not consulted the Lord, and there was sin in the camp. And we talked on Wednesday night about the far-reaching consequences of sin. When I have a sin in my life, or Michael, you might have a sin in your life, it always reaches further than we ourselves want to think that it does. It affects other people. It affects family. It affects friends. It affects a church. And we talked about that. Joshua and Israel had sinned because they did it on their own. They actually sent spies to go look in Ai. When they came back, they said, this is ours. We can take it. Let's just take 3,000 because that's all we need. And they went into Ai, and they had a real paddling that went on. They ended up being routed. 36 people died uh, in, in the battle, and, uh, and they lost. And that's when Joshua fell on his face and said, God, well, first he got mad at God. You took us out here to kill us. And so today, what we're really looking at is what I call the second battle of Ai. It's kind of like the second battle of Bull Run. Chapter 1, uh, open to chapter 8, verse 1. In your Bibles, the Lord said to Joshua, take all of the soldiers now with you. This is after he had had his come to Jesus meeting, so to speak. Go on up to Ai and do not be afraid or do not be discouraged. I will give you victory over the king of Ai. His people, the city, and the land will be yours. Sin had been dealt with and fellowship was restored. I pointed out last week, it's very important for us to remember that when we come to Christ, we have eternal uh, uh, status with Him. We are now sons and daughters of Him. That never changes even because of sin. All right? Sin just breaks the sweet fellowship that we have with Him. Uh, it's like I, Sandy and I will always be married. We pray uh, until death do us part. And we might have a tiff that comes between us and creates a problem in our home and upsets the fellowship, but it doesn't upset the fact that we're husband and wife. Do you all see the situation? That's how it is with God, and we need to remember that. Sin can have such an impact also that we're paralyzed by fear. Some of us have made bad decisions, sinful decisions, where we didn't really consult the Lord, or we consulted Him and got the answer we wanted instead of what He was telling us, and we're afraid then to go back in for fear that something will go wrong again. That's kind of, I think, what Joshua was going through. Now, God, are you sure you want us to go back and I? I just ended up with 36 people dead, and now you're asking me to go back in here? So God speaks to that immediately and says, his, his experience, Joshua's experience was saying, don't go. Don't go back in there. Don't get killed again. Don't have problems. 
But he listened to God's word where God's saying to him, do not be afraid or be discouraged. It really tells to me the importance of praying and listening and obeying. You've got this thing, Devin, that itches you inside like you did that day with the thing that we talked about today in Sunday school where you know what's the right thing to do and it just kind of won't go away. That's God prompting you. That's God pushing you. And it's such a joy when we listen and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey what you said. I'm going to obey what you're telling me to do, and you do it. It's so important that we pray, we listen, and we obey. I wanted to say something also here about this business with experience. We get into real trouble, don't we, when we rely on experiences instead of on God's Word. When we, we rely on our experiences and our emotions, they take us to terrible places. Our emotions and our experience are no match for God's Word. It says, thy word, have, have, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It doesn't say, experiences, God, you've put in my heart, so I'm not going to sin against you. His Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path, not experiences. Some Christians have some kind of an experience, put all their stock in that experience, even if it's something that runs contrary to what God's Word says. So I just wanted to say at this point, Joshua beforehand had been walking by sight and not by faith. Now he's walking again, Diane, by faith and not by sight. Verse 2, you, we're going to do a lot of reading today. You are to do to I and its king what you did to Jericho and its king. What happened? He destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time you may keep its goods and livestock for yourselves, prepare to attack the city by surprise from the rear. So they're going to have this rear attack. What's going to happen is God's telling the children of Israel to go in with a small number, get out in front of Ai, pretend that they're afraid, and turn and run. And that the whole city of Ai is going to follow them out there, all the warriors, and then Israel will come into the city and take it. Okay? It's kind of interesting because it's a totally different strategy, Heather, from what happened in Jericho. And I'm going to talk in a bit about different strategies that God uses. We get in real trouble when we try to pigeonhole God with whatever he did the last time. You know, however revival happened the last time, whatever happened the last time. And uh, we're going to talk about that. So Joshua got ready to go to Ai with all of his soldiers. He picked up 30,000 of his best troops, sent them out at night. With these orders, hide on the other side of the city, but not too far away from it. Be ready to attack. My men and I will approach the city, and when the men of I come out against us, we will turn and run, just as we did the first time. And they will pursue us until we have led them away from the city, and they will think that we are running from them, as we did before. We, we ran and got chicken, and that's when they got slaughtered, okay? The Lord your God will give it to you. After you have taken the city... It says, then you will come out of hiding and capture the city. The Lord your God will give it to you after you have taken the city, set it on fire, just as the Lord has commanded. These are your orders. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to their hiding place and waited there west of Ai, between Ai and Bethel. Bethel. Joshua spent the night in camp. So uh, I'm going to, if you'll turn to your Bible now, this was so much I did not want to uh, put this all up on the screen. So we are in Joshua chapter 8, verse 9, and I'm going to read up through 29. From 9 through 29. Joshua therefore sent them out 
And they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, mustered the people, and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them, them and I. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, and when they had set the people, all the army was that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west, and they went that night into the midst of the valley. So this is just a little confusing, but it talks about the battle plan of where they're put. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw, saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early, and they went out against Israel to battle. So he and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and they fled by the way of the wilderness. Isn't it funny that God is using the same thing that had happened to them now to beat the people of Ai? That was their own self-confidence. Remember, they, they turned chicken and ran, and then they got slaughtered. He's going to do the exact same thing to them there and use their self-confidence as well. They're going to think, we got these guys beaten. We're going to go get them. So all of the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So all the warriors, guys, jumped up out of the city and ran out after this 5,000 that were out there. Are you all understanding that what's happening? I want to make sure I'm uh, describing the ambush properly. So they left the city and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. They entered the city, took it, and hurried and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked back behind them, they saw, behold, there was smoke from the city ascending to heaven. They had no power to flee this way or that. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on their pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back, struck down the men of Ai, and then the others came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the midst of Israel. Some on this side, some on that side. They struck them down so that, that they let not one of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they had pursued them, and when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all of the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword, and it was that all those who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all of the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai was hanged on a tree until evening, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they take his corpse down from the tree, cast it into the entrance gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. This is a very, very amazing story. And isn't it interesting that if Achan had just waited 
If he had waited, God would have given him the spoils of I. But he wasn't willing to wait. He wasn't willing to wait for God's best for him. Remember, he jumped the gun. He's the guy that took the robe. I think it said it was a Persian robe. And he took the gold and hid it in a hole. So there's some lessons, I think, that we can draw from this. And first off, that God used that self-confidence of the people of the city of Ai, and it's the very thing that had defeated Israel to begin with. They had been self-confident, felt like they could do it on their own, and much of my problems come in my life when I'm self-confident and I try to do things on my own. Thank you. One person amen that. I thought we would get a resounding amen, and we didn't. So, you know, we get into big trouble when we don't realize just how weak we are. We talked about that in the men's study today. When we're confident and boastful and cocky, and that's one great thing I've had for 20 years now in fellowship with my brother Scott, is that we're able to get with each other when we need to speak our hearts, speak our spirits, and the other person sets the other guy, and sometimes it's me and sometimes it's him, back on the path of where we need to be headed and what we need to be doing. Uh, because we realize our weakness, don't we, Scott? We, and Michael joined us about five years after Scott and I began getting together. And we've had that Bible study on Tuesdays. And we always realize that we're one decision from destroying our life. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You know, and it, it, so it's wonderful to realize that you don't have to be that strong. You don't have to be God. We, we aren't God. And it's a wonderful thing to not have that self-confidence. I don't mean, but to realize that all of the confidence that you have comes from what Christ can do through you. Amen? Secondly, God brought all of this about <clears throat> so differently. We get into trouble when we try to pigeonhole God into doing things the way He might have done them before. Diane, when you and Tim and Sue and the flu kickers and Donnie and Big Rick called me to be pastor here, do you remember the seven words I told you of a dying church? Do you remember what I told y'all? What were they? We never did it that way. Yeah. The seven words of a dying church I told them are, we've never done it this way before. You know why? Because God changes things. The message never changes, but the methods do. And when the methods are not working, if we listen to the Lord, He'll show us new methods and new means to do things. This can be when we're so attached. I love singing old hymns. But if all we ever sang were old hymns and attributed them some kind of holiness, then we're in trouble. Don't you see? Because the Holy Spirit's still moving and people are still writing good music like they did 300 years ago. Another thing, people have come to me. And they've said, you know, we need to have an old-time revival with a tent and sawdust. No, we don't. Not unless we're listening to the Lord and knowing that that's what He wants us to do today trying to mimic something that happened in the past. And I know some of my Amish brethren listen to these sermons. That's a problem in much of the Amish community is going back to trying to wear things and to look like things like they were back when God moved in a great way among their community. And you end up mistaking buttons and suspenders for the Holy Spirit of God speaking into your heart. Amen? And we do just the same thing, Amish friends. We can't sit and pick on you talking to Paul Hershberger right now because he listens to these. And so we get in trouble when we try to pigeonhole God. And that is what Paul talks to Timothy about. He goes on talking about people that do these things. And it's a form of godliness denying the power of God. 
Now, I know afterwards, Tim, you're going to say, you mean we shouldn't have a revival? Listen to what I'm saying. We might need to have a revival, but we're only going to have it if we're listening to the Holy Spirit telling us to do it that way. Amen? That's the way we want to do things. Ministries often outlive their effectiveness. They're no longer ministries. Y'all have seen them. You know why? They become institutions. They're about people keeping their jobs. They're about people getting retirements. They're about people having stuff or getting this or keeping the parsonage or having real estate. And they are no longer a ministry at that point. They're an institution. And one thing I tell the executive council here, and they agree with me, is let's be careful that we always realize this needs to be a ministry and it doesn't ever become an institution. Doesn't mean we don't keep good business practices. We need to. But it means that we realize that we're, we've got a foot in kind of two different worlds. And so, uh, not to belabor that, but just saying that we want to be an effective ministry that has fruit. And this has had fruit right here. We've together seen God bring 38 people since we were in ministry together, baptized right up here in this, or here or down there in Lake Yarbor. I know some of y'all were uh, baptized. I want to say buried in the lake. <laughs> the, 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 the old you was buried there. Becca, were you buried in Lake Yarborough? I mean, not buried, were you baptized? So, yeah, we buried the old Becca there and raised up the new one in Christ. Amen. So anyway, that's, you know, and Sandy and I think about this a lot. When we were first married, we would go to these, these Bible studies in these houses. Man, there would be 40 or 50 young people in those things. Did any of y'all ever do that in the Jesus movement back in, I guess, Houston or in California or wherever y'all were? And you just kind of think, man, that was so cool. We need to recreate that. Maybe we don't, you know. But that's something that Sandy and I really enjoy about Wednesday night services here. We feel kind of like we're back in our old days where it's almost like a family reunion every week. And so anyway, not to belabor it, but just to say, you know, God moves us on, John, to new and fresh things. The message is always the same, but the method or the means may change a little bit. So then we get into verses 30 through 35, and this is kind of interesting. This is Mount Gerizim, and this is Mount Ebal. Okay, so turn to verse number 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, and you can go to Deuteronomy 11 and you can see that, Moses said this before they ever got here. An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. Well, he said a lot more than that. He told them in Deuteronomy 11, and I may or may not have put it there, when you get over Jordan, when you get into the promised land, when you get to Gerizim and Ebal, you are to do this ceremony. And that's the ceremony that we're going to read about. Isn't that interesting? Moses didn't live to go into the promised land. But the others remembered what he had said, and they did it. They offered on its it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. They did this on Mount Ebal. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So they must have had these stones and put plaster over the top of them and then written in there big pieces of the Torah that were there, okay, of the, of the law. Then all of Israel with the elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark. The ark was in the middle with priests of the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. 
Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. Half of them were in front of Mount Ebal. Has any of you, have any of y'all ever read this and studied this? I had never really looked at it till this week. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all of the words of the law, the blessing and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Now, it's confusing to know what's happening, but I can tell you by having read Deuteronomy 11 this week. It says, And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all of the assembly of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. This is the kind of thing that we read in Scripture and we go, okay, that's interesting, and I'm going to go on to the next thing because I didn't get anything out of that, all right? God put this stuff in there for us to get something out of it. This is how it looks. This is a natural amphitheater with Shechem there, Mount Gerizim is here, and Mount Ebal is here. And the valley formed a natural amphitheater, and a speaker's voice could be heard on both hillsides. The shouts that went on in Gerizim, they would hear them over here. And the things that could be heard in Ebal, they heard them over there. And what Moses told them to do was have two shoutings going on. One side would shout the blessings of the Old Covenant. Doreen, this is for you to hear. These are the blessings. And on the other side, in Ebal, they would scream out, and the curse to that would be this, this, and this if we don't do that. Okay? And the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle. It's really an interesting dynamic. And Dr. House, you may be able to look in your things, but I read on the Internet, so it must be true, that in 1980 they found the actual altar, they say, where this, this altar was built that's talked about here. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. And it wouldn't surprise me. But they found this stone altar up on Ebal in Gerizim. So what's happening is all of the law is read. They read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And some of us, I'm not saying y'all, get fidgety if I read 20 verses out of Joshua chapter 8. Saying, is he ever going to finish this? This probably went on all day, Betty. All day long. They were shouting, what are the curses? If you do these things, you know, then your kids will be healthy. Your livestock will increase. You'll have crops. Praise God, we're not under that kind of a covenant. Amen? All right. But it teaches us something. And I think what teaches us something, maybe, and I'm not, I'm not trying to read things into this passage, that altar was where the curses were read out. That is where the blood sacrifice took place. Didn't happen over on the blessing side. But it was there, and God was telling them that a blood sacrifice was required to take away the curse. Back then, it was to cover the curse, all right? Now, it's real, real different, and this is real important, and we talked about this in the car. When those sacrifices were made, Gail, they did not cleanse the people from their sins. Those sacrifices covered those sins. When Jesus went to the cross for each of us, our sins were cleansed. Do you all hear? The curse was taken away. And God shows a foreshadowing of that, Don, Right there on Mount Ebal. Right where the blood... He could have made the blood sacrifice on the side of blessing. He didn't. He did it on the side of the curse to take away the curse. I just thought that was something really interesting. And when you have time maybe today, go back and read the account in Deuteronomy 11 where Moses says to them exactly how to do this. 
That's how I know it is. I read Deuteronomy 11 because it's not listed here in Joshua. See, I'm setting. Oh, there it is. I gave it to you. You don't even have to look it up. Deuteronomy 11. Sorry, it's been since last night, y'all, since I did this. My 65-year-old brain forgets what I've written down. See, I am setting before you today. This is Moses talking. A blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. And the curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. And turn from a way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Listen. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land. Moses never made it there. He doesn't know about this happening. But Moses saw it and believed it. He says... When the Lord your God has brought you into the land, you are to enter, to enter and possess. You are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings in, on Mount Ebal, the curses. Isn't that interesting, y'all? That we see what happens in Joshua by going back and reading in Deuteronomy. It was a ceremony all planned out that Moses, Devin, had laid out for them. The blood sacrifice, as I say, took place on Ebal. Blood only covered the sins, all right, the curse. And in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus, it cleanses sins, removing the curse. Now you think, Faber, you've read something into this scripture. No, I haven't. Because look at this, Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Those that work under the law are under the curse. We're not under the law, guys. Cursed, this he's quoting, is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. How do we receive justice? Saying divine justice. How are we, we call it justification? Through the blood of Christ, right? Through faith. That's what this is saying. The just live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And we read that today in the last verse of the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians that you taught us this morning, Pastor Larry. He that knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Guys, we are the righteousness of God in Jesus If that doesn't make your hair stand up on your arm like mine is right now, you're not catching what Paul's telling us. We're not under a curse. We don't have to go find the best lamb in the flock, Betty. Jesus paid it all. And and yes, some of us sing, and all to him I owe. That's an inside joke with me and Randy, all right? Remember that old song, Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. That's the good news of Joshua 8 is he's not only the God Heather of second chances, but of however many chances it takes for us to say, Lord, I need you and I'm coming to you. That is a gracious and loving and precious act of love, isn't it, Becca? I mean, just think about it. We don't have to go to Mount Ebal and go to that place of the law. It says, cursed, and this is the cool thing, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham... What was the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles? What's the blessing, y'all? That we would all be blessed through Abraham, through Jesus, okay? All right? 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, Devin, here you go. The big idea. Devin loves the big idea. He says, I, I don't have to listen to any of the sermon until the big idea. He's never said that to me. Here's what I think are the big ideas of the day. God is not the God of more. He is the God of more chances than we can count. God has never given up on me. And guys, I've given him every reason to give up on me. And if you don't think you have, you're not looking at yourself honestly. <laughs> He's had every chance in the had he, Diane, you're laughing, to give up on you and me. Secondly, God does things in many different ways, all right? It's not just through a, it may be through a tent revival at some point in history. It could be through Jesus' music of 1971 and Costa Mesa or wherever you guys were out in California. These, these kids got, they, they said they got uh, baptized. I keep wanting to say buried today. They got baptized out in the Pacific Ocean. And I've shown this congregation before YouTubes of that. And y'all are probably in those pictures. I showed them when we talked about baptism. I said, you can even do it in the ocean. We played the YouTube watching Calvary Chapel baptize people out in the Pacific. Never knowing God would bring you here, all right? We stay centered, other big idea, in and with His plan. When we stay in the Word, stay tuned to the Holy Spirit. Don't let Satan or yourself deprive you of that joy this week. Stay in the Word this week, guys. Pull it out. Read a little bit. Say, Lord, illuminate this to me. Show me how I, this applies to my life. And it's, there's power in the Word, guys. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Big claymore. Big Scottish claymore is what Paul meant to say. And it divides your soul and your spirit. And it, and it goes into it and it tells you what's wrong in your life and how things need to change. That's what God's Word does. It's like downloading the most amazing program that was ever created. Amen? And lastly, the curse is removed when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that's Joshua chapter 8. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you that you have taken away the curse Lord, that you have washed away our sins. And Lord, you have given us the Holy Spirit within us to guide us, to teach us, to direct us, to convict us. So Lord, this morning I pray if there's something in our hearts that needs to be set right, that you convict us of that. That we get it right and stop, stop striving with you, Lord. Stop wrestling with you, Lord. But say, yes, God, I am all yours. Lord, take me and use me this day for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother?